All right. Can you all hear okay? I don't even know if we really need a mic, but I'm going to just welcome you. Thank you so much for coming. We, this is our probably fourth month in a row doing candid conversations, and we've been trying to come up with different topics once a month that help women relate to other women in the church and also giving people an opportunity to share their story and their journey in you know topical things so we've already talked about identity and social media loss and then this week we're going to be talking about helping kids with special needs or outstanding needs and so it was about three years ago that Ruth Brush called me and said that her son Wesley had been diagnosed with was it autism and she just said, you know, who do I turn to? Do you know any, do you have any resources? Or, and I had a friend from Wisconsin that I, you know, recommended. Other than that, I didn't really know, you know, much myself. So I'm excited tonight to learn from Ruth. And then after Ruth speaks to us, we're gonna have a snack break and drinks and just feel free to go and get popcorn and chocolate and waters and different pops, sodas wherever you're from, soda, pops. And then we're going to come back in here, and uh, Jess Libby is going to share her story, and then Kathy Carbaugh is going to share, and then we're going to end the night with Hannah Cooper um, talking to us about occupational therapy and how that is so helpful. So let's go ahead and pray, and then I'm just going to turn the whole evening over to all these women. Lord, thank you so much for just the time that we can be here together, that we can learn from one another and we can learn together how to bear burdens and how we can be equipped to come alongside of our friends and love them well and love their children well. Lord, I pray that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ as your body, that we would show our friends and families how much we care and how much you care for them by the way we invest in them and talk to them and want to learn what they're going through. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. need I have a weird thing I have narcolepsy you know where you fall asleep in your spaghetti but not really but um and it comes with cataplexy which is like sometimes your knees just buckle and I was like you have you know about that yeah okay so it's a real thing there you go <laughs> so I did not want to fall out on you guys is this like feels right in my face okay oh you can't hear no one ever says they can't hear me ever so um, so my story is just a lot of moments in the last 12 years, and I wrote a little thingy um, on social media one day. I overshare on Facebook. I'm that person. So um, I kind of wrote this on Facebook. It just kind of came out of me one day, and it kind of just tells, it's a good little nutshell representation. So I'm going to just read this, and it's not very long. My story is a million moments over the last 12 years. It's when you see other toddlers having typical I won't moments, and we have plenty of those, but you also notice your son has I can't moments, like he cannot let his ketchup touch his grape. 
and he can't have books after nap because he always has them before. And he can't watch the scary part of Aladdin, or sleep with a new pillowcase, or eat a sticky waffle, or sit through a loud worship service. The tricky part was he couldn't tell anyone those things because he was three. And his overwhelming frustration ended up uh, in massive, screaming, sweaty, very embarrassing episodes. When you've done all the faithful training and discipline and hung in there through all the battles without giving in, but you're the parent that gets called to the nursery because your kid is throwing books at the teacher, you start to feel the isolation. You excitedly buy all the school supplies for preschool and pose proudly at the front door for pictures, all the while wondering anxiously how long before you get the phone call that he's under a table and won't come out, which it did come. You try to explain when you get there that maybe he got his fingers sticky at snack time or the boy next to him was screaming the, the pledge too loudly or the tag in his new school shirt was itching him and that legitimately that sensory overload can cause this meltdown. But the teacher doesn't really get it. She listens patiently with a pasted-on smile and then suggests trying timeouts at home. <laughs> and you feel very defeated. He got older, and he's so precious and amazing and smart, but he cannot navigate the social hurdles. Things that come naturally for everyone else were lost on him. So when his friends were playing Star Wars or Freeze Tag, he was soberly marching around the playground with a clipboard, asking everyone to sign up if they were Republican or Democrat. <laughs> and even the nice kids would just shrug and walk away because they didn't know how to take him. And the ones who weren't so nice <laughs> was really sad. Then comes the day when you get the official word that he's on the spectrum, and you knew it for years, and you tell yourself, okay, this is good news because it means more help. But you barely make it to the car before you just crumple because when you nursed and rocked this baby, you had so many hopes and dreams, and they didn't include this. It takes a while, but finally one day, this beautiful boy runs to you and says something like, Mom, I think Einstein was autistic. He was kind of weird, but he was like the smartest guy in history. And you smile because the acceptance is coming. But then it's followed by a bad day at school when he locks himself in his room and screams out, I just want to be like everyone else. I hate the way God made me. I just want to be regular. And you sit outside his door and whisper back, I'm sorry you're so sad. I love the way God made you, and I wouldn't trade you for a million of those kids. And you realize that you mean it that a decade of hardships has not diminished this boy's place in the world for one second, that the difficulties have been stepping stones on a journey that have produced a unique, kind, wise 12-year-old who has turned to God with all of his weakness and has found everything he needs in him. Not too long ago, Wesley had to have some tricky dental surgery. He was such a trooper and he was co cooperating like so calmly that the dentist finally stopped and said, wow, you're handling this better than most adults I work on. Not a beat went by before my boy smiled and said, well, I've had a lot of stuff happen to me that's been kind of hard. So I guess I just had to get used to asking God for more help than most people, right, Mom? I could only smile and nod from my seat and whisper a prayer of thanksgiving from my heart for this boy, for the help from above, for the friends and family that have stuck by us, Mom, and yes, for the autism, which has thrown us time and again, desperate for help into our Father's arms, for it was the time spent there that has given us joy we would never have found anywhere else. So that's our story kind of in a little simple nutshell. Parenting a kid who's a little bit different, who's creatively created but still very much made in God's image. 
This includes, um, these kind of kids, these exceptional kids, include kids born with physical differences, motor skills challenges, degenerative disease, anxiety and depression, eating disorders, ADHD, Down syndrome. It could, obviously we can't list them all, but all of these kids. Chances are, with all the diagnoses that we have in the world today, either you might have a child like this in your family or extended family, or you might know someone that does. So how do we deal with these special challenges from a biblical perspective? Where do we point our children to when they have these special needs? Paul Tripp answers the question way better than I ever could. He said, God invites you to run to him. He is able to meet you in your need. He will never mock you in your weakness. He is full of compassion. He will never use your weakness against you. He never becomes impatient, and he is just as faithful to all of his promises on your very worst day as he is on your very best day. Why would we run anywhere else in our time of trouble? Why indeed? <laughs> Need drives us to Jesus, and that's been like just such a special theme in my life. I don't want this need, <laughs> but we have it, and it drives us to Jesus. Just think about all those people in the New Testament when Jesus was walking the earth. People lined up for miles, crowds of people, thousands deep waiting to see Jesus. Why were they there? Why had they come? Many of them, because of what we would say in 2021, would came because of their special needs. The deaf, the, the blind, the mute, the lame, the terminally ill, the anxious, the woman with the bleeding disorder. It wasn't easy for them to get to Jesus, especially in that time where people like that were kind of throwaways but they found their way to a street corner or a temple or a hillside where they heard Jesus might be coming, all because they had a need that no one else could help them with, no one but Jesus. And we're kind of the same today, right? When we have a need, or especially as moms, our children have a need because we feel that so deeply, no matter how independent we thought we were before, we suddenly find ourselves staring up at that sycamore tree, wondering how hard it would really be to shimmy up there and drag our kid with us so we can wait like Zacchaeus for the master. I don't know if anyone here happens to be football fans, but and you have to be kind of old, like at least as old as me. But um, if so, you might remember Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly played for the Buffalo Bills in the late 1980s. He was their star quarterback. In a book called Kelly Strong, he tells about meeting his wife. He was at the peak of his career as one of the NFL's most valuable players, earning millions of dollars and enjoying his newfound celebrity when he met and married his wife, Jill. He admits now that he didn't know God. He didn't really feel a need for God at that time. At least that's what he thought. But a few years later, the Kellys had a son named Hunter. He was diagnosed with a rare and devastating disorder of his nervous system. Doctors told the family that their little boy would only live a few years and that he would live a profoundly restricted life which he did. He was on earth about five years, confined to a wheelchair, hooked up to a respirator and feeding tube, and needed round-the-clock care. After little Hunter died, Jim Kelly shared about the significance of his son's life. He said that before Hunter arrived with his long list of special needs, Jim Kelly never needed or wanted a God. But God, in his great mercy, sent Hunter into their family, and when their fame and their wealth and their celebrity and all their connections came up empty and could not help their son, they looked for someone who could, and that person was Jesus, only Jesus. Sweet little hunter who never spoke a word in this life was sent by God to point an entire family to salvation and eternity with him. Our need drives us to Jesus. My own story I started out with a little bit with you already tonight is similar in that my need certainly drove me 
and still drives me every single day, like today, to Jesus. Unlike the Kellys, I do not have a child with profound life-threatening needs, but I do have a son on the spectrum. When my son was very young, as young as age two, I knew he wasn't typical. The sensory issues we talked about were obvious. Noise and sound was another big issue. Noises that are very normal to you and me were completely overpowering to him. As he grew, even though he wasn't what you would call typical, he was bright and smart, and he was able to cope in most situations. Sometimes when his autism, you know those autistic kids, sometimes they are like, wise beyond their ears. <laughs> if you know some, you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes that would just be so funny in our house. I'll never forget when he was three, I was taking a shower. I had a two-year-old and three-year-old boy. What was I doing taking a shower? I don't know, but I was trying. And I heard them screaming and yelling. There was an emergency. So I came running, dripping wet to the scene of, you know, to where they were. And I said, what is going on? And they said, the lights went out, the lights went out. So the electricity had gone out in part of the house. And little three-year-old Wesley looked at me all wrapped up in my towel with this concentrated look, and I could just see his wheels turning, you know. And then finally he hit that aha face, and he said, don't worry, Mom. I'll get my flashlight and shine it on you while you get dressed like a show. <laughs> and that's not how I got dressed, but that's what he thought would be a good idea. As Wes got older, his quirks and funny little ways started to create real hurdles for him. It wasn't until third grade that his little world started crumbling around him. Moving into the stage of life where social interactions and peers and being cool is all new territory, he was not dealing well. It's pretty common for kids with autism to struggle around this age because just because of the way their brains are wired. And because of their quirks, they're often easy prey to get picked on. All of that was happening. One day I got a call from school that my little boy had run out of his classroom in a blind panic, climbed up on the second floor balcony ledge, and declared he was going to throw himself down onto the gym floor below. <laughs> I was assured by the secretary that school security had tackled him and grabbed him away to safety. <laughs> but if you're a mom, you'll feel me when I say that that wasn't much comfort. <laughs> yes, he was okay, but my goodness, he was completely unraveled. You would think this news would be enough to send myself shove into the front of the crowd shouting for Jesus like those blind men did in the Bible. But honestly, I wasn't there yet. I was a Christian, I loved Christ, but as far as admitting my whole need and that I couldn't do anything, it was such an uncomfortable feeling as a mom. We would just wanna fix everything, right? So we agreed with Wesley's teacher that he should undergo a complete psychological educational test, which is common in these kind of situations. And in order for them to determine how to help him best, my husband were handed a questionnaire, a really big old, long, personal questionnaire. And the most important thing they said to us was, no matter what, make sure you answer all of these questions completely honestly. So I opened it up and read the first three questions and whispered to my husband, there's no way I'm going to answer all of these questions completely honestly. <laughs> Because while I was prepared for the sensory questions and the social dilemma questions, I was not prepared for dealing with the questions about anxiety and depression. They took my breath away. I mean, I knew my son had been exhibiting a lot of anxiety and sad days, but until I read those questions, I was in complete denial that he could actually be clinically depressed. Because how can a nine-year-old be depressed? And furthermore, weren't depressed kids from broken homes with checked out parents who were high on drugs and alcohol? 
I was so ignorant about depression and how it worked. And I had some very real and very wrong preconceived notions about who could and could not be depressed. A third grader in a loving, nurturing, God-honoring home couldn't be depressed. But the more I read the questions, the more wrong I realized I was. Some of the questions. How many times does your child express he hates his life? Never. Every few weeks, several times a week, daily. When was the last time your child had a day that was mostly positive? And the hardest question. How many times have you heard your child say he would be better off dead or he or she does not want to live anymore? My pen hovered over that little box next to several times a week and awareness struck at my heart. But I sat in that office with my pen in my hand and I whisper yelled to my husband for the second time, I am not answering these questions truthfully. He is not depressed. He can't be depressed. He's the most nine -year loved nine-year-old boy on the planet. But my husband shook his head and said we had to answer truthfully because we had to help. And that was finally my moment. The moment I realized that my bachelor's degree in education, my patience, our discipline, our consistency, our chore charts, our awana, our nurturing, our love, none of it was enough to help him with this special need. And I remembered a story from the New Testament. You know the one where the guys ripped off the roof to lower their friend down to Jesus? And suddenly I understood how desperate they must have felt because that's how I felt. And as I answered those questions with complete honesty, in my mind, I was kneeling on a hot roof, sinking my fingers into sticky black tar and peeling off roof tiles one by one so I could finally lower my son down into Jesus' arms. Truly, our need had driven us to Jesus. To be honest, the next chunk of our journey is kind of foggy. I'll tell you this. There was a lot of lament. I had a vague idea of what the word lament was before this, like deep sadness, right? But over the next year, I learned more than its definition. I learned what lament felt like. It felt desperate. It felt like despair. It felt very lonely. It felt like failure. It felt like trying three different schools without success, and it hurt a lot. <laughs> I remember one specific instance that defined that time. We were sitting at the admissions desk of yet another school, hoping like crazy this would be the place for our son. And I was trying to explain to the admissions lady that he was on a new anxiety medication and it was really working and helping. But right in the middle of my explanation, she waved her head and shut the folder. No, I'm sorry, she said. This is a regular school for regular children. I'm sure that woman was not ill in her intentions to me, but she will never know how much that hurt my heart. I looked through the glass over at my little boy. He was waiting patiently on a hard plastic chair across the room, and he smiled and waved at me. I smiled back at him and swallowed hard. I wanted to yell at that woman, but he is a regular child. He's better than regular. He's exceptional. But instead, I gathered up my things and mumbled a thank you and made it to the car before the tears fell. I was so angry at God. God, I trusted you with my life, with my kids, with my everything. We thanked you and praised you and went to church every Sunday. Why would you give me this child with these challenges? I have no idea what to do. Where is he going to go to school? What's going to happen to him? When will it stop hurting like this? And most importantly, when will he stop hurting like this? If you're a mom, a grandma, or a friend of a special needs person, and this is the part of the journey you're at, I believe the professional term is the sobbing into your steering wheel part, <laughs> I encourage you to reach for the Psalms. 
the people who penned the words of the Psalms also often were lamenting, and they didn't mince their words. They're the kind of words that can resonate with a grief-stricken mom or grandma. I felt those psalmists and their words like they were my words. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice as I plead for mercy. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. I clung to God in those months. I waited for him, and he understood. So if you're on this journey, don't skip the lamenting stage. Parenting kids with special needs is hard. It's a little brutal sometimes. It's exhausting, it's embarrassing, and it can be very lonely. So go to God with all your hurts, and he will meet you there. Don't skip over the lament part, but also don't get stuck there, because the next part gets better. I call it the Jesus understands part. <laughs> okay, so everybody has, well, you don't have to do this, but if you want to do this, you have to. Um, okay, I want everyone to put your hand, your arms straight out in front of you. I should sit the way you are. And cross your hands over and link up your fingers and then try to come towards your chest. So you're kind of backwards. You guys got it? You guys are very good. Okay, now I'm going to shout some instructions at you and I want you to do what I say. Are you ready? Lift your left pointer finger. Now lift your right ring finger, your left pinky, your right thumb, your left pointer. Can you do it? You have to think, right? Because it's all mixed up. That's what it feels like when you have special needs sometimes. Your wires are crossed. People think, you know, like, well, why can't you do the simple task? Because it's not simple to them, or they would do it, most likely. <laughs> um, I have another scenario for you to think about. Let's say I'm going to help you memorize 10 vocabulary words in French. Not too tough, right? But the catch is that I'm going to introduce the vocabulary words while sitting on the front row of a rock concert with a live band blaring at you the whole time. Still so easy to learn those 10 words. Are you staring at my lips, hardly able to understand what I'm saying and having a hard time retaining any information? Okay, here's one that I know happens to all of us in real life. You get lost in your car, you've taken a wrong turn, you're trying to U-turn out, you're all confused, your GPS keeps talking to you. What's the first thing you do? You turn down the radio. You tell the kids, be quiet back there! Because your brain can only handle so many intense thought processes at once. But what if instead of turning the volume down in the middle of your frustration, it gets hiked all the way up to the max? What if you had to live your life in a world where the volume is always up and you can't turn it down. Think it would be pretty hard to concentrate? That's how these kids feel. I think it's important to try to put ourselves in these scenarios so that we don't fall into the trap of like rolling our eyes and thinking, oh, that child just needs more discipline. Or I would teach my kids how to walk around without those ridiculous headphones on. I said some of these things before I had a child like this. <laughs> so if you said them, don't feel bad. But we can do better. We need to remind ourselves from time to time to remember that special needs are very real and they require very real compassion. When my kids were young, we had a saying at our house. It said, we don't point out people's challenges, we help each other through them. I said it all the time because I had kids that were a year apart and they were always fighting telling how they were better or the other person was worse. One night, when he was four, I was straightening in my younger son's room before turning out his light. He said, Mom, I do sit-ups in bed 
every night. They're probably easier for me than for you because, well, you know, one of us has a little more fatness. <laughs> I smiled and I said, well, that's true. And he said, I said one of us has more fatness, so it wouldn't hurt your feelings. Like it could be me or it could be you. <laughs> we don't point out people's challenges. <laughs> I laughed and said, no, we don't. Good night. But little Lukey was right. We don't point out people's challenges. We help each other through them. You don't have to look very hard in scripture before we see that's exactly what Jesus does. I love Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Jesus knows every worry, every sleepless night. He remembers every tear, and he does care. A beautiful story of Jesus caring not only for kids with special needs, but for us, their parents, is in Mark chapter 9. A man comes to Jesus with his son. They explain to Jesus that the boy has seizures and he needs to be watched every second. His father must be weary when Jesus turns to him. Mark 9 verse 21 says, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? Why did Jesus even ask this question? He was God. He knew exactly how old that boy was and how long they had been dealing with this. Don't you think Jesus asked that question because he wanted the father to know his compassion for him? Jesus wanted that man to hear that he knew all about every sleepless night. He had stayed up watching his son so he wouldn't roll into the fire. He wanted him to know that he understood how exhausting it would be to be on alert every day of every month for all these years. Jesus wanted that dad to know that he saw him, and he felt him, and he cared. And I'm just going to put a big P.S. on that sentence to say, and so should we. Christians should be the very best at being compassionate to people with special needs. Um, where's Jess? I'm going to tell a story about you. I didn't ask permission, but it's a good story. So, um, I was standing in the hallway out here, I don't know, a couple years ago. And Jess came by, and she's my friend, and she asked me how we were doing, and we were talking. And Wesley was standing next to me, my little Wesley. And Jess was aware that he had some, you know, quirkiness, some social hurdles. And she looked right at him, and she said, how are you, Wesley? And asked him something about what we were talking about, I don't recall exactly, and smiled at him. And later that afternoon, she texted me, and she said, was my interaction with Wesley okay? I know sometimes he's uncomfortable, and I just want to make sure that, like, I talk to him in a nice way, in a way that made sense to him. Oh, it was such a simple text, but I will never forget it. It was like a balm to my heart. And since I'm bragging on how good we are at this church with loving people, I'm going to tell you another story. So you know how we haven't had co uh, Sunday school for so long because of COVID? Well, a few weeks ago when it started up, I had been talking to Wesley like, hey, Sunday school's coming, it's exciting, we're going to see people, and he's like, uh, and it's just not his thing, it's hard for a lot of kids with autism spectrum disorder, and um, I kept trying to talk it up, I said, oh, I heard you have a really nice teacher, you know, so the day came, he said, mom, I'll go one time, because you're asking me to, but if you let it be my choice after that, I'm not going again. I said, okay. He said, but I'll sit in your class because I can understand it anyway, which he probably could because he's really smart. So he walked. He has this um, one fear that to me is very irrational, and I don't know where it comes from, but to him it's very real, is that someone's going to keep him from us. Like he's going to get in a situation where he cannot come back to us. Someone's going to take him, keep him. So right when we were on the sidewalk, just about to walk all the way in, he looked at me and he said, Mom, 
no one can put their hands on me, right? And no one can keep me, right? And I was like, no, no one at this church would do that. Unless you were hurting yourself or someone else, no one would ever do that. And I just saw him put his little brave face on. <laughs> oh, they're always our babies, right? And I put his little brave face on, and he just marched right in. So I grabbed the teacher on the sly. I don't know his name. He's very nice. So he teaches 12-year-old boys. I don't know. Um, he's very, very nice. And I said, hey, short story. He's kind of worried that he can't get to us. So we're going to be here in the church chapel and um, can you just let him sign out at the end, just so he knows, you know, I can leave if I need to. And um, he said, oh, it has to be on his, on his ticket, his sticker, you know, that we do for security. So we checked, and it wasn't. I was, like, giving my husband a hard time. I'm like, why didn't you check that box, you know? <laughs> and he was like, I said, can you just, can it just be okay? And he goes, oh, he was so nice. But he said, unfortunately, we have to follow the security rules. It's really important. But, um, you know, get a hold of Pastor James, and, like, you can change it. And I was like, okay, okay. So um, my husband didn't want to bother James wherever he was worshiping, so he just emailed him. He thought, well, it'll go to his inbox on Monday morning, and we can fix it. Well, five minutes later, you know, Pastor James is in here tapping John on the shoulder in the back row. He's like, can you come out and talk to me? And I thought, oh, no. Like, if you're, if you're a mom of special needs, you can feel me. Like, what has he done in five minutes, you know? And, um, and James said, hey, I got your email. I don't want Wesley to be anxious. I know sometimes he gets worried. He was like, I went ahead and changed it on the computer, but I'm going to make sure he's okay. And then that dear sweet man walked to the other side of campus, went into Wesley's classroom, got down on his level and said, hey, um, I changed it so you can leave if you need to. No one will keep you here. And then he said, look, I'm going to sign my name right across your sticker, James Farner, because I'm in charge of these Sunday schools. So if anyone tries to tell you differently, you know that you can come out when you need to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It meant so much to me. It might be a small thing. And we're not, it's not like I don't think special needs parents are looking for special things. We just want our kids to be understood and be, you know, on a level playing field. So anyways, it was amazing. And so my encouragement to you would be don't be like the admissions lady. <laughs> be like Jess. Be like James. Even better, be like Jesus. Jesus didn't say to that man, have you tried vitamins, ram and sheep's oils, more time in the temple, more discipline? He said, how long have you been dealing with this? Be like Jesus. Be full of compassion. So that brings us to our next question, which is, if Jesus cares so much, and we know that he does, why doesn't he just take away these challenges? You know, why are there any special needs to begin with? I think when our kids are small, that looks differently how we talk to them. But as they get older, it's really important that we have these conversations that we don't just say, oh, because. Because Satan will use it in their life, you know, and accuse God of things. And you want them to have a really good understanding of how this all works together. So, of course, you start with that the world is not as God meant it to be. It's sin, cursed, and broken. And then um, there's lots of ways to talk about it. I'm just going to, like, shout out four that have helped us think about suffering and special needs in our house. Number one, only God knows best. So if you're suffering, that's God's plan for you right now. Um, there's a lady named Katie Blackburn. She wrote an article. She had just been told that her son had special needs. And um, she wrote, As I drove away from the hospital that day with my little boy and a stack of papers, I felt like I was leaving behind the life I wanted. But in the hours and days that followed, God reminded me of the gospel that says, I cannot always trust my own longings. What I want is not always best for me. She said, my sinful heart would take children 
who make me look like a good mom over children who make Jesus look like a great God. <laughs> I mean, I'm totally with her because I would have signed up for those kids too, but that's not what God had for us. And if you have kids that are different, it's not what God had for you. And I think it's important that we look at our children and tell them, Satan's going to come to you and whisper lies to you like he did to Eve and say things like, oh, if only you weren't dyslexic and you could read better, then you would be happy. Or if only you weren't stuck in this wheelchair, you could have the life you really wanted. But we can tell them that just because our heart wants something, it's not the thing that will give us lasting happiness and peace. Only God can do that. God knows best. Psalm 91.15 says there's no unrighteousness in him. He literally cannot do the wrong thing. So we have to remind them that, even during their suffering. Number two, suffering creates opportunities for deep worship. Some of you might have read some books by Sally Clarkson. She writes some good stuff. She wrote a book called Different, and it's her story of raising her son, who had very debilitating OCD. And most of us kind of have an idea, probably the compulsions of OCD are very difficult and time-consuming where people feel that they need to repeat behaviors again and again. And during his childhood, that's what she did. She repeated many behaviors. So at night, instead of like one bedtime prayer, there might be like 10 bedtime prayers. Or instead of one shower, there might be six showers until he felt clean. And of course, it was exhausting and hard, but she wrote this. God really did care about my sacrament of praise to him in the small, repetitive moments when no one but him saw when I gave my son another back rub or read him another story, I was engaging in worship. And I think special needs and suffering gives you opportunities to worship God in a way that's just between you and him that no one else will really know about. Number three, suffering displays God's glory in beautiful ways. John 9.1, most of us know this story. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were essentially asking the same question. Hey, Jesus, why all the suffering? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Yes, God allowed the pain and suffering in this man's life, but it wasn't for nothing. It's never for nothing. He allowed it so that on that certain day, he could heal this man in front of all these throngs of people, and God's power would be displayed for everyone to see. So we can look at our kids and say, yeah, it's not fun wearing hearing aids, and it's not cool being in the resource class at school, and it really stinks that you can't get a driver's license because you have epilepsy, or you can't play on the basketball team because of your immune system. But after Jesus healed that blind man, do you think anyone was sitting around thinking how much it stinks to be blind? No, they were high-fiving and shouting, saying, man, did you see that? He was this way, and now he's healed. And they were saying, who is this? I mean, could this really be God? So just remember, when we're talking to our kids, that we tell them, yeah, it's hard, but how cool is it that people can look at your life with your challenges and then turn their face to Christ because of what they see him doing in your life? Suffering displays God's glory. And the fourth thing I talk about with suffering with my children is it can reveal the deep, deep love of Jesus because he stands with us in the fire. You know when you go through an exceptionally hard time and Jesus is so sweet to you and you wouldn't have understood that in any other way. That's what a lot of these kids can start learning, even at a young age. My son just read a book about a girl who had no arms. And he said, Mom, why would God let her be born with no arms? And I think these kinds of answers should be our answers because he knew 
that that was the best way he could know her and that she wouldn't know him the same with arms and that he had a plan for her and he was going to display God's glory in her. There are a lot of good answers to that question, but I think we have to be ready to tell them. Um, have you guys read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe books by C.S. Lewis? And The Magician's Nephew, it's the story of a little boy named Diggory whose mother is dying. And Diggory goes to Aslan the lion, who represents Christ, to heal his dying mother. At first, Aslan does nothing, and Diggory is distraught. And, and then he gets closer to Aslan, and this is what the book says. Up till then, Diggory had been looking at the lion's great feet and huge claws, claws with power that could do anything. But now in his despair, he looked at Aslan's face, and what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny lion face was bent down near his own, and great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own tears that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. Jesus allows suffering for his own reasons, but it doesn't mean he doesn't hurt with us. Andrew Wilson has two profoundly disabled children. It's a really good book, The Life We Never Expected. If you, if you only read one book, I would really recommend that one. The Life We Never Expected, it's on your sheet. He said, we worship a crying God, a God who became like us, suffered, wept, and cried out in anguish as he died. So when we face all the whys of suffering, we may never know what the answer is, but we know for sure what the answer isn't. It isn't that God doesn't love us, and it isn't because he is distant or cold. The lion has tears in his eyes, and although we may never understand all that he's doing in this suffering, he isn't doing it because he doesn't love me. If we could just get that one point across to our kids, I think it would be so amazing. So we can't finish talking about suffering without talking about the best part of it, which is the end of it, <laughs> forever. Because those who know God and have been redeemed by him, we know that suffering is only temporary. Have you ever been working out? I don't do it often. Have you ever been working out and the person's like putting you through the paces and they're on that really hard section? You feel me, Sarah. And they're like, she's so good about it. And they say, um, oh, come on. We're only going to do this for 60 seconds. You can do anything for 60 seconds, right? That's how I talk to my son about his special needs. Um, hard? Yes. What we would choose? No. Long? You bet. Forever? No way. It's not forever, and that can be such an encouraging thing. Remember the watchman reference when we were talking about Psalm 130? It says, I wait for the Lord like the watchmen wait for the morning. Watchmen don't sit in the towers all night and then about four in the morning think, oh, well, I guess morning's not coming today. No, this isn't their first day on the job. They've sat in the watchtowers all these nights, and they know for sure with all certainty that no matter how dark the night is, the sun is going to rise. Morning is coming. And that's what we remind each other and our kids. Having special needs and being different is not fun. It's difficult. These things are to be lamented. They are hard. But if you are in Christ, they are not forever. Morning is coming, and these things are temporary. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. So keep your eyes on what is unseen rather than what is seen, because what is seen is only temporary, and what is unseen is forever. Do you remember joy to the world? No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Andrew Wilson in his book says this, Like the spring thaw, turning sheets of ice into fresh running water, the power of God will extend to every square inch of this world and turn every curse into a blessing. The tube bed will enjoy home cooking. The wheelchair bound will go water skiing and climb mountains. 
those who cannot speak will sing his praises. There will be no need for words like syndrome or degenerative and no place for medication or therapy. We will have resurrected bodies just as good as the ones Jesus had, bodies that can eat, cook, walk, talk, laugh, will never grow old and will never decay. Oh, autism, where is your victory? Oh, cerebral palsy, where is your sting? I forgot. <laughs> um, okay, last thing, I promise. When we are overwhelmed in our most exhausting special needs mom's moments, we find ourselves face to face with mom guilt and parent fatigue and all the scary what ifs of their future. But as the father lifts the yoke over our head, Jesus Christ settles next to us and yoked together, he whispers into our ear, come to me, all you parents of special needs kids who are weary and burdened, and I promise to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, I gratefully work. You help your kids, I help mine the best I can. We make grilled cheese sandwiches and tie shoes, we try new medicines, we drive to therapy, we buy fidget spinners, and pray that he'll make it through one hour of Sunday school. Being the best imperfect mom I can be, and realizing that the yoke is not easy, because mothering a child with special needs is easy. Far from it. But the yoke is easy because all of it rests on him. And just as he promised I would, I find rest for my soul. Hope that encourages you tonight. Thanks for listening. All right, so Jess Libby is going to speak, and then Kathy and Hannah. Just kidding. <laughs> Hi, friends. I'm Jess Libby. I'm a daughter of the king, a wife, and a mother. I know many of you and am grateful for your willingness to come tonight and delve into a subject that intersects and informs every day of my life. When Carissa asked if I'd share my story tonight, I wanted to say no. I delayed responding to her for quite a while. Honest but honestly didn't have a good reason not to. Was it because I didn't want to cry? Because my stomach would be tied in knots all week? Or was it because I maybe haven't quite come to terms with the details of our story? Well, our great God, the creator of all things, savior, redeemer, and friend, sovereign over all, is the author of each of our stories, and this is how he's written mine. My son Joel is six. He's easygoing and considerate, yet particular, and a friend to everyone he meets. He adores his sister and could play with trucks and Legos all day, every day. Well, in a lot of ways, Joel is your typical six-year-old boy. In many ways, he's not. My daughter Leah is almost five. She is stubborn and sweet, loves to tell stories, and loves her family fiercely. They are best buds and each provide stability for each other. Backing up six years, I had a fairly typical pregnancy and birth. A few hiccups with a two-vessel cord and a knot in the cord, but we were thankful for God's grace and protection for the safe delivery and of a healthy baby boy, our Joel. He was a happy, healthy baby. By 12 months, Joel still wasn't babbling or crawling, so we pursued therapy services. We've continued speech, occupational, and physical therapy. 
They've seen growth in each of these areas, but that growth has not caught up to age-expected norms. Present day, Joel still has speech delays, as well as fine and gross motor delays. His responses to conflict often result in frustration or physical altercation as he's not able to process and speak his mind effectively. In many ways, Leah has surpassed her brother. Initially, that was really hard for me. It was a clear distinction that his struggles on paper are real and evident in practical settings. In many situations, our days look a bit different than we may have anticipated. It takes a lot more time, encouragement, and assistance to accomplish normal daily tasks like eating, dressing, walking up and down stairs. Basic instructions can be repeated, disciplined, walked through many times, and are still not heeded. While it's expected for kids to be defiant or disobedient, with Joel, there's not usually the intent to disobey. In public, if Joel is not holding my hand, he will likely not be walking next to me. Fine in many situations, but it's incredibly scary in a parking lot or a store. My life includes more than the typical doctor's appointments, therapies, and lots of adjustments I may not have anticipated. There's a lot of advocating. In school for services, at doctor's appointments with specialists, for, for doctor's appointments with specialists and clarity for information, at church for the best placement or understanding within children's ministries. Sometimes it's easy and straightforward. You go into a meeting feeling pressure and nervousness, and those you're meeting with are obliging and willing to listen and work with you. And sometimes you have to argue your thoughts and stand firm on your position against professionals and want to cry and give up, but you know your kid is worth it and deserves their spot to succeed and excel. I've learned many things about life, God, and my own heart over the past six years. Patience looks different with each kid. Parent each child as an individual. Yes, consistency is important, but sometimes what's expected of one child is not appropriate for the other. Our expectations for Joel are different than those for Leah, according to their abilities. Each milestone is important, valuable, worth celebrating, no matter how mundane it seems or where it falls on the timeline. Walking, talking, potty training, learning letters, pedaling a bike, celebrate the wins. It's important for me to be excited with each new development. But it can be a wrestle in my heart as I try not to compare my son with others his age. The sigh of relief with finally is really a joy killer. Enjoy the victory. It will be a source of, for, of encouragement later. Kids stretch you. Kids with outstanding needs will stretch you in outstanding ways. They'll stretch you emotionally, physically, spiritually, and they'll stretch your marriage as well, likely in ways you were not planning or expecting. It may change your plans for more kids, vacation, school, work, life, and it may change how you want to talk about them, what you're willing to talk about, how you're willing to talk about them with other people. It can be hard to process through and accept the reality of life and how it's different than what you had planned. It can be a very lonely place, feeling as though no one can relate, maybe in parts, but not as a whole. Unless you found someone who has a similar child, you are weathering storms without personally knowing someone who has gone before. Some diagnoses have a host of support groups or others parenting through similar struggles. For us, I have never met someone else with a global developmental delay diagnosis. Some of that may be in part to the stigma associated with the label of a diagnosis. You may not have known that we 
walk through this diagnosis. I may not know that you are. There's a lot of stigma associated with the defining that, of putting that on, a, on one of your children. Um, and some of it is in part to the circles that I'm a part of, but so far we're trudging along solo. Find and see the people in your corner. As with all mamas, those who encourage me, who listen to my heart and struggles, who love Joel regardless of the areas where he struggles, and who point me to Christ are the people in my corner. Those in mine, I thank you. With tears in my eyes and so much love for you. It's refreshing, life-giving, and a practical example of God's body, of the body of Christ working properly. I hope and pray that you consider me to be someone in your corner, that my interactions with you point you to Christ and encourage your heart. Practically speaking, I think we all need to learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Understand there are some things you can say to your good friend that you're together with regularly that you probably shouldn't be saying to a mama that you've just met and have, are having eyes on their child for the first time. I've appreciated the friends that have taken the, the time to get to know me and my son and our situation before adding their input. And I appreciate their input. It helps to have outside eyes on a situation, to affirm steps you're taking, to admonish gently when necessary, to offer suggestions. Come alongside, a phrase so often used and so on point. We all need people to come alongside of us, to walk with us, to share the load when it gets heavy. Sometimes that looks like a cup of coffee, an open ear, a play date, an offer to swap child care. All these things have been encouraging to me, a balm to a weary heart. Life can be consumed by doctor's appointments, therapy visits, school, keeping the house running. Know and see that. Understand that and allow extra grace. Keep being an available friend. Be willing to adjust plans, timing, location, if that works better for your friends. If you have expertise or experience in an area that can be helpful, let them know that and offer your help if you wish to, but allow the friend to accept that help. Don't force it upon them. I'm told by lots of people what we should be doing or could be doing or trying. Doctors, friends, complete strangers, someone at the grocery store. It may be welcome help, but it also might be overwhelming when there's so many things that we already should be doing. I've been en encouraged by moms who have spoken to their children to understand some of the ways that Joel was different. He may communicate differently. He's not potty trained like kids his age. He might be slower or more cautious. But those that have helped their children work through these things when they come up make me want to cry and to smile. It's a true way to show love to a mom or dad parenting a child with outstanding needs. And reach out. Ask what works best when talking for talking to your kids about mine. Often, it's better if the kids aren't currently present. Sometimes I don't want to bring up Joel's delays in front of him. It might embarrass him or make him uncomfortable, but I am more than happy to help you navigate being his friend. The biggest thing I have learned and come to realize is that all God's truths apply equally. Joel was created for a purpose, in God's image, needs Jesus, and is loved lavishly. He was created perfectly, and placed in our family for God's glory and for our good. Joel has worth, dignity, and value because he was created by God in his image. Joel needs Jesus. He needs to recognize his sin as sin 
and understand that he needs salvation through Jesus' sacrifice. And Jesus loves him so very much. And all of those truths apply to me. I was created for a purpose, and one of those purposes is raising my outstanding son. I'm created in God's image. I, too, have worth, dignity, and value, despite how unprepared, disappointed, ill-equipped I feel. I need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. My strength, love, and power are not enough. I need Jesus each and every day. My sin creeps in regardless of my son's outstanding needs. And my sin is mine. Yes, the extra pressure makes my anger, selfishness, tendency to be prideful and sorry for myself darken each day at a faster rate. But the light of Jesus shines brighter still. His strength, love, and power are sufficient not only to make it through each day, but to do so in a way that glorifies him, and he offers it in each and every moment. Is that something I understand and believe every day? Certainly not. I definitely have the days where I just want to curl up in a blanket, ignore the world, where I wish things were different, where I lack faith and belief, and where I forget that unless I am pursuing Christ, I am pursuing myself. To wrap things up, Isaiah 43 has been a favorite of mine for a while and speaks into my life so purely. It's my go-to on the way to the doctor, sitting waiting for a school administrator, when life gets overwhelming, and when I'm at peace. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So my, my, name, my name is, did you get it? My name is Kathy Carbaugh, um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about who I am and um, whose I am, and then just what I've walked through over the years. So my parents, my dad was in the Air Force during the Korean War and the Army during the Vietnam War and served the Army for 20 years, then civil service for 20 years. My mom was a full-blooded German who was sponsored at the age of 18 to the US and became a US citizen at 20. Both my parents and my husband's parents were adult children of alcoholics, but were first-generation Christians who dealt with addictions and abandonment issues. For myself, I'm an army brat. 20 years, moved every two and a half years, but eight of those were spent in Germany from two to six and 10 to 13 years of age um, my husband served the Navy for 23 years, and we were blessed to be stationed in Norfolk for most of that time. The story that I'm going to share with you, most people don't know. Um, there's a couple of people in this room that do, um, but I haven't shared it. But I was really excited when Carissa said that Ruth wanted to share about uh, um, special needs, and I said, I want to share after special needs. I don't have any children at home at this point. So, um, Numbers 14, 18 says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving, 
forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the third and the fourth generation. When my son got his first diagnosis at three, this verse actually helped me because we were in effect naming what was causing some of the generational issues in the past. I have three children, ranging from almost 40 to 31, and nine, nine grandchildren, ranging from almost 19 to almost one. And I've been married to the same man for 42 years. Hey, man, I made it. <laughs> My children were chronically physically ill in the early years, and by the time the youngest was three, we were classified under the Exceptional Family Member Program um, system in the military as a Category 3. Two of those children were also diagnosed with learning challenges. One of the outstanding needs that has just been made obvious to me recently here at our church is that my 40-year-old is in a wheelchair due to Meniere's. It's a vertigo dizziness thing. If she were to come to our church and I could not assist her into one of our ladies' restrooms that accommodates her wheelchair in the educational building, her husband would not be able to assist her into a family ADA-equipped rest room because we don't have one. So we are going to do renovations, and I just want to bring that up. <laughs> so education. My oldest did the changing schools, both public and Christian, every two years, like I did growing up until she was in the sixth grade, when I started home educating. She was home educated from sixth to eighth grade and then went to Ocean Lakes High School. My younger two, I, ed I educated from K through 12 with a stint in public school in the eighth grade for my youngest with an IEP and an inclusive classroom. In ninth grade, I brought him back home because the system did not help me facilitate getting a transitional IEP into the high school. That student started educational therapy in the ninth grade privately, which was significant in helping him to begin to really address his learning challenges. So whose am I? I'm a sinner saved by grace at 11 years old and prayed with my parents at the kitchen table in Colleen, Texas but really did not, mean, did not own my relationship with Christ until I was about 23 years old and realized that I couldn't hang on my parents' or my husband's shirt tails for the rest of my life. So, since Ruth did audience participation, I have a couple questions. So, I need to know how many firstborns there are in the room. Okay, how many middle children? And how many babies? Okay. So, I'm the firstborn of four. A doer and a fixer. This is a strength and has served me well over the years, but has also caused me to sin, thinking that what I was doing could fix the problem and make it go away or get better. In particularly with children with outstanding needs, we think that talk therapy, medication, neurobiofeedback, educational therapy, IEPs will fix it or make it better. What these do is to assist in the learning process, but in the end, what you are dealing with is who that person is and how God wired them. One of our pastors 
um, shared after my kids were grown and out of the house, but I like it, so I'll share it with you. Is my home a yes home or no home? Do I have physical idols, furniture, things, breakables, that have me as a parent saying no more often than yes on a regular basis? Is my car, my appearance, my status as a parent more important? So, I have three things that I want to share with you as an older woman on how we can come alongside each other that I've walked through and been blessed and you can do for each other. The first one is physical touch, hugs. With permission among women, especially now with COVID and just the way our world is, makes this different but not difficult. Why do I share this? During the hardest three years with my son and my husband being deployed, God knew on what Sundays I really needed a hug. And there was an older woman who had a big smile and an awesome hug and smelled of peppermint. That was her perfume. She ministered to me without knowing who I was and what I was going through. For three years, I didn't even know her name until one Sunday night, I just prayed a quick prayer and asked the Lord if I could learn her name. She ended up giving a testimony that night in the service and was introduced by the pastor, and I finally had a name with a hug. I continue to minister in this way to our single women and our widows, intentionally seeking them out and giving them hugs when I see them. The second audience participation, now this is, you might not want to do this one. How many have you have colored your hair? I'm letting mine grow it out, no. I'm letting the gray go. But I have a question to ask you. Did you do it with Kool-Aid? Have you ever dyed your hair with Kool-Aid? Bright green? Before it was okay in church. Before it was okay in church. Now we have rainbows in our sanctuary, which I just have to smile about because I know this story. My son did, and I was embarrassed to bring him to Wednesday night youth group. But I had that feeling of, why is it my child? Why does he have to stand out in the crowd? I was weary from the week already. But I did baby nursery on Wednesday nights at that time. A grandma and her grandma were delivering something to one of the nursery cubbies and they had already seen my son with his green hair in the hallways. The granddaughter said to the grandmother, why is there a boy with green hair at our church? <laughs> Are you holding your breath like I was? Was your heart pounding, waiting for judgment and condemnation? My son was the first teenager to come with other color hair. Are you ready to give up? So what happens? Do I have to tell you the rest? The grandmother's response was, yes, he has green hair. But more importantly, he is here, and that is what is most important. I could have cried from the sheer relief, and those words carried me through many more things that were harder than green hair. So what you can do at church for people and families around you 
Be in prayer on how you can minister and watch your words. What you say may or may not be the last time they will be willing to hear or see the gospel. I had many moments like that. Psalms 139, 9-10. to If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand will hold me. Psalms 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my sins. The next part is the hardest for me to share and most candid, but also miraculous. And I think it's an important part. I wish that somebody could have said this to me, and that's why I feel like I need to share. I want to preface what I say with a statement. God has placed police and our legal system and child protective services in place, and if it is necessary to involve them because there is physical, verbal, sexual sins going on in our homes, we need to trust God to work all things for his glory. I wish as I walked through this next story that I understood it then, but I now know it to be true. And that is why I want to share this part of my story with you. My son was a rager, both physically and verbally. It came with his diagnosis. He was often able to hold it together out in public, but at home, in the safety of our four walls, not so much. The inability to self-regulate was one of the hardest things for him to learn and for us to walk through in the teenage years. When a teenager at 15 crosses the line and clocks you in the back of the head with a 30-pound backpack and you call the police the first time, the police will ask you if you want to press charges. They can't tell you to press charges. They can't infer that you press charges. You just have to be the, they just have to be the authority. This went on for two years and we were moving closer to placing him in residential treatment. The sixth time when I called the police, I said yes, I was going to press charges. At that point, it was all out of my hands and I had to present to the judge why I pressed charges. The long and short of it is that the judge charged my son with being a bully and sentenced him to 30 days in juvenile detention, but took away 10 days because it was his first offense. Let's go back. My husband was in the Navy and was deployed at the time. So how did the church come alongside at, that time, at this time? The pastoral staff was aware of what was happening, and a pastor was with me in the courtroom. The same pastor willingly picked my son up from juvenile detention after his 20-day sentence and drove him to another pastor's home where I met them, and we sat for a few hours weighing options with my son, encouraging him to admit he needed serious help that was beyond all of us, but not God. My son finally conceded, and we left the pastor's home, and I transported my son to residential treatment in Petersburg. The residential treatment facility required my son to sign himself in willingly which at the time did not make sense to me, but it does now. My son needed to really admit he was at the end of himself and needed serious help, but God. So do you wanna hear the end? 
or should I leave you hanging? <laughs> My husband returned shortly before our son was released from residential treatment just prior to his 18th birthday, and we began a year of healing and working through a few more life skills. I could have graduated him at 18 upon his return to our home, but we graduated him from home educating at 19 in June of that year, and he started community college in September. He graduated four years later with his associate's degree in graphic design, but while at the community college, truck driving began to fascinate him. It took a year for him to find a job after college with U-Haul, which he had for nine months and then was fired due to a safety violation. But God, worked it out for him to get his CDL for free at the college, and he has found his niche in life as an over-the-road truck driver in the last four years and is a dedicated driver for one of the companies here in Virginia, and he goes into Boar's Head in Brooklyn, New York at least twice a week, and he navigates it well. He still struggles with the learning challenges that he had growing up, but he has learned to use them to his advantage. He has become a father this year, and that's a whole other story. Is that miraculous? Yes. Do he and I have a good relationship? Yes. Should we? No. But God. I share this story because I want you to again know that you are not alone, no matter what you are facing with your children, your spouses, your friends, your family. God will be there and he will bring people into your life to hold your arms up in battle when you just don't think you can go on to hug you and to speak the truth. My last few verses, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And 1 Peter says, 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will he himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This time in your life is a seasoned, and you will make it through the season, and then the Lord will have other seasons for you. May we all be well-seasoned for the Lord as we walk in our own personal journey of life. I will tell you one thing that we didn't do that I know today would have helped my son learn to self-regulate, but it wasn't really a therapy or a thing 20 to 30 years ago. Hannah Cooper is now going to share her expertise about occupational and physical therapy. And the neat thing in just speaking this out is that um, because of the things I've learned over the years, um, occupational and physical therapy have ha helped my grandchildren because I've been able to say, please don't medicate before you examine this. Please don't. So that's my story. Thank you for letting me share. I know. Welcome. 
Oh, how cool. How cool. I love being able to listen and to listen well to good, good stories. Um, so thank you for sharing. Um, I did not intend to come dressed in scrubs, and I am not trying to flex my OT authority here. Um, <laughs> by any means, this is a, a hot off the OT presses um, from Newport News, I'm treating kiddos. So forgive my appearance and just open your ears. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to share about OT. I will tell you far more than you ever want to know about occupational therapy. Um, so if uh, you need to like tap out, no, I'm just kidding, um, flag me down, uh, I'd be happy to do that. But my name is Hannah Cooper. Um, I've been a part of Colonial for about 16 years um, since I was in middle school and then grew up in the high school and youth group here. And I'm now part of a cross-life uh, adult Bible study. Um, but occupational therapy, what is this ambiguous profession uh, that no one knows about? And I'll get into that in just a second. I just want to share how I arrived at that decision. Um, I was a junior in high school, <laughs> driving up to a winter retreat, and Meredith Estes uh, was with me. And she asked a classic question um, that we love to ask teenagers for some reason. Well, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? I, I don't think she asked that exact question. <laughs> But I was like, I'm like 16, I'm supposed to know this already? Um, and I was like, I don't know, maybe something in the medical, maybe physical therapy. And uh, I don't remember exactly what she said, but my interpretation of that was, um, you won't like that. That'll be boring. You should not do that. You should do occupational therapy. And I didn't know what it was, and I had no interest in finding out about it, and she convinced me to come shadow her, and I did. And I'm so grateful for that because I fell in love with it. It was amazing. And I'll get into that in just a second. Um, but so cool. So cool. God was so kind to allow that conversation to happen. And I put up a good fight. I'm like, I don't really want to go. If I go, I'll check out physical therapy and kind of watch Meredith, like whatever. Um, and I just couldn't. I was so enamored with this profession and felt like it's what I was designed to do which is a weird thing to stumble upon that uh, with no expectation. Um, but I observed a pediatric clinic. I've always loved kids. And I was like, OK, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I went to Tywart Community College. They have an occupational therapy assistant program. Graduated and couldn't find a job in pediatrics. <sighs> All right. So I worked in some skilled nursing facilities. And then um, God allowed me to go to a bridge program. And so I have my master's now in OT, and now I work in a pediatric clinic um, called Tidewater Therapy for Children. And we do outpatient services where the kiddos come to us for some treatment sessions. And then I also do early intervention services um, where kiddos are between the ages of zero and three years old. And we get to go into their home, and we get to play with their toys, <laughs> and we get to teach them how to do that, uh, which is really, really cool. I love it. Um, it's a really neat program. So, occupational therapy. What is this thing? Um, occupational therapy helps you learn how to or return to doing anything that occupies your time, right? A lot of people say, oh, you help people find jobs. And I'm like, well, I actually work with kids. And they're like, you help kids find jobs? <laughs> no, no, not quite. Um, no, but I help them do the thing that occupies their time usually the most, which is play.
play, which is so fun, okay? Um, I know, why would you not want to get paid to do that? So for adults, that looks like things that occupy our time on the daily, right? Bathing, dressing, toileting, um, home management, financial management, health management. Some of it is work participation. Some of it's leisure, golfing, fishing, crocheting, whatever that might look like for you. So for kiddos, it's going to be similar things, right? Kiddos usually take baths. They hopefully get dressed every day. Um, but that main occupation we're going to work on is under that foundation of play. But we do include some other things um, in our profession. We're very holistic. We like to look at the whole being of an individual. So we can work on things like emotional regulation, um, sensory processing issues, social skills, um, educational activities, helping them be ready to do those things, handwriting, working on their grasp strength, their fine motor skills to be able to hold a pen or a pencil, maybe to even understand that there are lines on their paper that they need to follow and stay within. Uh, feeding, whether that's because of a sensory issue, they just don't like the way that a banana feels on their hands or in their mouth, or behavioral, uh, they just don't want to eat that banana, and they know if they cry enough, they're going to get that yogurt that they really like. Um, and even rest and sleep, that's something that we work on. So maybe a kiddo has a really difficult time with getting ready to go to bed or sleeping through the night, so we can work on stuff for that. So practically, what does that look like? Well, my job is uh, great and challenging because I get to educate and coach parents, which I am not a parent, <laughs> um, but I get to do that and I get to empower them to help their children to become the best that they can, to the best of their abilities, to meet them where they're at and help them progress to where we want to see them be. So a lot of times that looks like reaching milestones, you'll hear that term a lot, which by definition is a skill that 90% of kiddos the same age can do. Um, and so helping kiddos looks like this practically. I can help kids increase their attention span, right? I can help educate mom and dad. Well, we need to increase our attention span so we're not going from blocks to trains to cars to puzzles to the book to the couch to the TV. So we need to have enough attention span in order to be able to focus on something for several minutes. Um, and that looks different for different ages. Um, you know, I'm not expecting a one-year-old to sit down and play with blocks for 10 minutes necessarily. Um, so across the lifespan, that's going to look different. It can even work. Uh, we can help with visual attention. Maybe your kiddo doesn't even realize that there's something in front of them to play with. They can't even visually attend to what's in front of them. Maybe they don't make a lot of eye contact because they don't know you're a person, that you're there and a being that they can interact with. So we can work on skills like that. Um, skills like being able to follow directions, one step, two step, three step directions. Go get your shoes. They have to go find their shoes. They have to see their shoes in a sea of shoes and take those shoes and then put them on. Um, so different things like that. Sensory information is one of my favorites, um, so I could talk a long time about that. But um, some examples um, that were already somewhat shared this evening would be things like our, well, let me back up. We all have sensory processing, right? Um, and we all have different thresholds, and we all can handle different information at different levels. So auditory input, right? What we hear in our ears, okay? So I have a great friend 
and she has a lower auditory threshold than I do. So we go out to dinner, there's a live band playing, we're enjoying it, and we get into the car, and she just wants silence. She doesn't want the radio on, she doesn't want me to talk to her, she just wants to ride the 30 minutes home in silence, and I'm like dying inside, <laughs> because I need something, okay? Anything? Okay, so it's not that it's not that we don't have sensory processing, we all do. It's just a matter of what our threshold is and how do we cope with it. So you might see kids who cover their ears because it's too loud of an environment. Or maybe their environment is too loud so they make noise themselves to try to mask over the environment that they're in. Well, that's not an appropriate coping strategy, necessarily. Um, so how can we help them be able to process and understand what they're feeling and going through? and then equip them and their parents to be able to have these appropriate strategies to move throughout life. Proprioceptive input is our body's craving for deep pressure through our joints. Again, we all have this need. Um, so we will help equip um, you with strategies on how to help your kiddos with that. And that might look like a kiddo who always likes to get up and move around. You cannot do anything to get little Betty to sit in this chair and do this task, and she's just always moving around. So that could be proprioceptive input. Maybe she jumps a bunch. Maybe she um, slams into things or she presses against things a lot. So maybe she's seeking that information. Her brain is asking for it, and she's trying to fulfill it but it might not be in an appropriate way. So how can we come up with some strategies to equip her and you as parents to be able to do that? Vestibular input is our constant need. Um, well, I apologize, not our constant need. It is what we experience when we move throughout our environment. So vestibular just refers to the vestibule, the opening within your ear. And when we move our head, things move in our brain and our ears to tell us information, okay? so. Holly. Holly hates roller coasters. She won't ride them. She'll go to Busch Gardens. She'll walk around. She'll be the pack mule. That's her own self-claimed <laughs> definition. Okay. I, Holly's my little sister, by the way. Younger, I should say. Um, I love roller coasters, and I could ride them all day long. My brain loves that information. It's neither good nor bad. It's just a fact of life. So some kiddos will be all willy-nilly, and they're like wet noodles, and they're going upside down, and they can't sit still. So how can we appropriately give their brain the sensory information they need? All for the purpose of getting them into what we sometimes refer to as a green zone, a ready-to-learn zone, where we can sit down and participate in structured activities, whatever that might look like. Some of that's play, some of that's educational activities. It depends on where they're at in life and their stage of life itself. Um, we can help with processing um, emotional regulation. So uh, responding to different environments, to different problems in the correct manner, being able to identify if those are little problems or big problems, and then how do we cope with those correctly. Uh, another big one that I work with a lot is food. So kiddos will be very limited in their food variety or what they're willing to take in their nutritional intake. So we'll incorporate things like silly play or showing kiddos that their food is safe and it's fun to eat and it's enjoyable. And we'll do crazy things like have children paint yogurt on my arms in a therapy session to show them that that's an okay thing and if it's safe in our hands, we can put it in our mouth and that's an okay thing for us to do. It's not always the cleanest thing. It's 
sometimes interesting, and sometimes parents are also on that sensory level where they don't want to touch that yogurt, and so they're like, what are you doing? And you wonder sometimes where these children are having difficulties processing things. <laughs> and you can see it. So we work through that together. We work through that together and, and try to figure out how to come up with some strategies for that. Um, occupational therapy by no means works in a absolutely not. Um, I work alongside amazing occupational therapists, certified occupational therapy assistants, physical therapists, physical therapy assistants, and speech language pathologists. And we are a team, an interdisciplinary team. So if we do help kiddos um, officially in a professional way, we are working together. Um, and I am not an expert. I will be the first to claim that. And I often tell my parents, you are actually the expert on your child. You know your child better than I ever will in my one hour a session on Wednesday afternoons. And so I'm not here to barge in and be the expert and tell you that you need to do all these things. But I want to give you some ideas of some different strategies that we can use. And maybe we'll try them. And they may not work. And that's okay. So then we'll try something else. And it's exhausting. And I see my parents. And I'm so grateful for the ones who come and are engaged. And I understand why some parents come in and they're not. They're removed. Um, and some of that has to do with their support system. But you show up and you listen and you care and you give another strategy and you talk about how good Johnny did and another idea that you might have that could help them out. Um, a few years ago, I was talking with a mom and she was telling me about a kiddo, her kiddo. And in our conversation, she just expressed some weariness, some exhaustion, desperation, feeling very alone. She didn't know how to help her child. She really wanted to, but she didn't know what to do. And she'd been told by people in her close family, um, by people in her close circles, friends, just wait. Things will get better. He'll grow out of it. Jesus knows what he's doing. Those aren't untruths, but in the moment, um, it wasn't helpful, and things weren't getting better, and her daily experience was very wearing on her and her family. So I listened. I had no idea what to tell her, um, but I tried to ask good, inquisitive questions, tried to show up, showed that I care, um, and at one point I did. I recommended OT. Hey, I'm still in school, but I think this thing might help. It did not fix all of her problems. Um, it didn't magically change her child into an angel. Um, but it did give her some pieces of the puzzle, some tools to use uh, to help her walk through her daily life and help her child um, become the best version of himself, right? That's what we want to be. We want to be like Jesus. Um, and so that looks different for different people and in different ways. And I think that's something we're talking about tonight, which I love. So, um, my greatest uh, encouragement would be just educate yourself. Start somewhere. Um, if you know a friend, you know a family, walk beside them. Listen to them well. Um, use the resources that we have. We have a lot. 
Um, I sent, I think, four to Whitney, and I have like 12 more that I'd like to share. Um, but there's two books in here that I recommended, The Out-of-Sync Child and Living Sensationally. Those are all about those sensory processing um, uh, disorders that a kiddo might have. Living Sensationally I love because there's a little quiz in the middle that you can take, and anyone can take it, and I take it, and it tells me about myself. And I need much more input pretty much on every category that's in there. Um, and I'm doing okay. You know, I'm pretty normal. Um, but it's just helpful to kind of know how sensory processing works and what it is. Um, pinkoatmeal.com helps with some motor planning ideas. So maybe you have a kiddo who has some gross motor or fine motor delays or deficits. That can help with that. Yourkidstable.com, they have some awesome ideas for sensitive eaters, um, helping with those diet plans and strategies, different tools like that. There's a lot of people on Instagram, the OT Butterfly, Learn, Play, Thrive, My Munch Bug, Melanie Potek. <laughs> um, lots of people who have different ideas, and you can just flip through them. They're really easy to incorporate into your daily life. And maybe you don't have a kiddo with special needs or know someone who has a child with special needs, but just putting that into your easy scroll through social media, sometimes that can be helpful. Um, lots of websites, growinghandsonkids.com, Mama OT. The American Occupational Therapy Association, AOTA.com. They have their own pediatric page. If you want to explore that, see what they have. They have podcasts listed. Um, Pediacast, Bringing Up Betty, Unexceptional Moms, which I thought fit well with our <laughs> theme. Um, so just different resources. So just start somewhere, whatever works for you. I love podcasts. I inhale them. Not a great reader. So that might be where I would start, you know, for me personally. Most of the times, what I want to do, what we want to do, when we hear about a problem, is we want to fix it. I'm a doer. Let me fix it. Let me just tell you how much Jesus loves you, and he knows where you're at, and I will, I will help you find a solution to your problem, and it's going to be okay. And sometimes, that's the right response. But more often, and I am learning how to do this, um, it's important to remember and learn to just be. So... Be willing to sit in the yuck and the sorrow of lamenting that Ruth shared about. And be willing to walk beside and not fix the things that people share with you. Um, I do this on the daily. When my parents tell me things, I have no idea what to tell them about their kiddos. But I just listen, and I show up, and I'm ready to learn. So no matter what the needs are, no matter who you are, parent or friend, um, kids just want to be kids. Um, no matter what their needs are. They just want to be able to play. Um, they want to be able to interact with their environment and be like the other kids that are around them. So remember their humanity when you're interacting with them, like Jess did with Wesley. How cool. What a great example of that. Don't jump to conclusions, whether that's that the child needs something or that they don't need something, and that can be hard. Um, so be patient and be kind. Listen well. And then earn the right to speak truth into someone's life. And that takes time and intentionality. And I'm not always good at that. So I try to be, and I'm trying to learn how to be better at that. Um, and be like Jesus. Learn to ask good questions. Um, and learn to listen to those responses and be okay with what they are. So, thank you. I would love to. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's close in prayer.
God, thank you. Thank you for um, your character and who you are. And you are a good God. And you do know all of our hearts and our moments and our life and our struggle. You know our emotions. You know when we don't understand things, when we're angry, when we are joyful, when we are sorrowing and lamenting. And you are big enough to take on those emotions. And you're big enough to love us through those. And so we are so grateful for that. We are grateful for those who shared tonight and for those who we don't know their stories from this platform. But would we be intentional to come alongside those that we do know about and those that we don't? That this would be a community where we can be safe with each other and we can talk about strategies and we can listen well. Would you help us to listen well, God? I'm so quick to give an answer. I'm so quick to respond. Would you help us to not, to not do that, but to listen well and respond well with intentionality? We need that from you because otherwise we're answering from a place of um, untruth sometimes, Lord, or truth that is not spoken in love. And we don't want to harm those. We don't want to harm our sisters in Christ or our brothers in Christ. We want to love them well. And so I pray that you would use this tool of tonight, these stories that have been shared, to open up conversations. Could we be honest and transparent um, with each other for the purpose of loving each other better and being more like Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are around us in whatever capacity that looks like? Showing up and swapping babysitting, Lord, or giving advice and talking through strategies. You are so kind, God, to give us this knowledge, um, the knowledge of who you are and how you respond to these situations. Um, let us not take that for granted, but love you more because of them. Uh, so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>